Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, what's up, what's up? My Take Radio, episode 38 for Thursday, April 15th, 2010. I'm your host, Rich, of course, and the music you just heard was The Omen of Geneva. The artist was Neko Frog 1, N-E-K-O, Frog, the number one. You can get that and any of the other intro music I've used at ocremix.org, the letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The call-in number is 347 324 3541. Um, of course, before I get into the housekeeping, I will be joined this evening by Dr. Armin Dorian, Jeff D. Maline, and Max Geiger from Spike TV's Deadliest Warrior. Uh, Deadliest Warrior goes back on the air for its second season, uh, Tuesday, April 20th at 10 p.m. on Spike. They're going to be coming in. It's going to be a limited appearance, though. Uh, the network only allocated me 30 minutes, so unfortunately I will not be taking live calls. You're more than welcome to give your questions to Slick in the chat room and he can PM me or you can PM me directly and I can ask the questions of all the guests. Um, The rest of the show is going to be business as usual, hopefully. A little bit of housekeeping as well, of course, the ads, I talk about them every week. You know the deal. Don't want to piss off Google. If you're on the site and you check out some stuff and you see the ads, you know the, you know what you got to do. Um, the forums were actually really popping this week. There was a lot of stuff that was uh, being discussed, from Street Fighter Four to some comic stuff. A little bit of talk, a little talk about V, Spartacus, the TV series. Um, the forum is growing. It's uh, Definitely a lot more active than it has been in the last few weeks. If you haven't been by the forum, I recommend you go and check it out. There's um, a lot of great listeners in there providing some really cool insight on a lot of stuff. It's mytakeradio.com slash forums, plural. Um, Of course, you can go on mytakeradio.com and read some of the new posts that were put up. Uh, Slick has been a busy little bee, so to speak. He put up some great posts about South Park. Uh, Burn Notice Season 3, I put up some preview videos for um, the second season of The Deadliest Warrior. A lot of stuff has been going up. Uh, My fiancé put up a post about Joss Whedon and his involvement with the Avengers. I'm not going to go into it too much. I will be discussing that uh, during tonight's broadcast. Um, The Facebook fan page, 110 members. The army is slowly growing. Um, Definitely... If you haven't been by the fan page, definitely you can look it up at facebook.com slash mytakeradio. Those fuckers finally gave me a URL. So you can go there and, of course, show your support and become a fan. And you can also use that as a place to be caught up with news 
regarding my fake radio. Even the posts are now syncing with the Facebook fan page. The only thing that's left now is for posts to sync with the, um, with the forum. So that's where we're at right now. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about a little bit about UFC 112. Um, the Ultimate Fighter, of course, is going to be discussed. I'm going to try and get into all of it, at least those two particular segments, before 11.30 when my guests are going to call in. And with that, let's start with some MMA first. Of course, the big story in MMA right now is UFC 112. Uh, UFC 112, which um, was being broadcast live from Abu Dhabi, was very unique in the sense that it... Um, it was an outdoor event. It was the UFC's first foray, so to speak, into, into the Middle East. And while I felt it was totally successful, there were certain little things that definitely fucked things up. And, of course, the big thing was Anderson Silva. Before I go into what happened with Anderson, I just want to discuss the fights in general, which overall was a solid card from start to finish. Um, the middleweight fight between Mark Munoz and Kendall Grove was fantastic. There was a, a huge Filipino contingent in Abu Dhabi. A lot of the, the crowd was solidly behind Mark Munoz. He actually won via TKO with strikes in round two. Um, an awesome fight from start to finish. Um, definitely a great showing by Grove. Um, Grove, I, I felt, was winning the first round, and then Munoz just came in and he dropped that vicious ground and pound and did his, did his damage. I definitely got to give him props for that. That was definitely one of my favorite fights. Um, the legends, of course, met Matt Hughes and Henzo Gracie. Um, Henzo Gracie, by many, was considered the favorite. Uh, Matt Hughes actually, though, picked him apart for all three rounds, um, finishing him off with strikes in round three. A lot of people were saying that Gracie looked kind of old. He's 43 years old. You know, I think that it was probably a little bit of octagon jitters. Um, definitely, some people, they just come into the octagon with a game plan, and the game plan goes out the window when you get punched in the face. So things like that are, uh, you know, it's expected to happen. So definitely a solid performance. I think Henzo Gracie will be back. This won't be the last you see of him. Matt Hughes also, a lot of people were expecting some sort of a retirement announcement. I think Matt Hughes is still a force in the welterweight division. He's a great competitor. He has outstanding wrestling. And, you know, you can never count the guy out. He's been doing really good. And his victory over Henzo Gracie showed that he can still finish opponents. So definitely a, a great showing by Matt Hughes. The lightweight title fight between Frankie Edgar and BJ Penn. Um, on paper, everybody had Penn definitely uh, doing the work and retaining the title. Unfortunately, that's not how it went. Um, pretty much for round one and two, it, it looked like Penn was leading in those two rounds. Edgar definitely took round three. Some people are saying that Penn took four just because Penn had better strikes. I mean, it, that was a very close round for me, and Edgar took five. And with that, he actually won by unanimous decision, 50-45, 48-47, and 49-46 to become your new UFC lightweight champion. Um, definitely a, a great showing by Edgar. Um, BJ Penn, some people were concerned about him looking a little thinner than usual, like the weight cut may have affected him. Some people were talking about him being distracted. You know, the, the, the typical excuses. I mean, BJ Penn was a, uh, 
was just, he, he's a great champion. The guy's a legend. He's going into the fucking history books. And um, it, it's not something that, you know, I know there's going to be a rematch. There's already rumblings that that's going to go down. So, you know, he might come back in there and, you know, do some damage and get back the belt just as quick as he lost it. Um, it's all about not so much winning the belt, but keeping it. So definitely, uh, definitely one of those things that I'm, like I said, I'm very proud and very happy for Frankie Edgar. He did, he did a great job. He, he put in a lot of work and it paid off. So we'll see what happens. And the rematch I believe will be at UFC 117. That's the rumblings I'm hearing. Um, nonetheless, the middleweight title fight between Damian Maya and Anderson Silva um, Damian Maya, of course, was substituting for the injured Vitor Belfort, and um, Anderson Silva, of course, is the champion. Pretty much round one, Anderson Silva, a little bit of peppering, doing his his typical counter-punching style. Uh, Maya was trying to shoot, you know, get the shoot, take the fight to the ground. Uh, Silva did a little bit more of peppering and playing around with Maya in round two. Round three, more of the same. Round four is when the fight just took a complete shit, and Anderson Silva was dancing around, bullshitting, kind of running from Maya, you know, just 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 having a grand old time, so to speak, but not the kind of grand old time that you should be having when it's a title fight, you know. It should be a highly contested bout from start to finish. Unfortunately, it turns out that, you know, Silva, according to his post-fight interview, was saying that Maya disrespected him and that he wanted to punish him a little bit. But punishment is going into the octagon and doing a fatality on somebody. That's punishment. Pummeling somebody's face, punishment. Breaking their orbital socket, punishment. Maybe an arm, a leg. But jabbing and, you know, light work and, you know, not really doing anything of note is not punishment. What you end up doing is fucking up the reputation of the UFC in a brand new market, you know, with the fans of Abu Dhabi, who there were, there were GSP chants, there were Maya chants. Definitely the crowd turned against Silva. Um, round five, Maya did a little bit of work, but not much, and Silva actually did the same thing, a little bit of peppering and running around. So, of course, he ended up retaining the belt by unanimous decision. Um, I definitely think that Silva, a lot of people are saying that you know, he wasn't bored. His management team is saying he wasn't bored. But the problem is that I think Anderson Silva is in a unique place given the fact that he's not, you know, he's not taking it as seriously. He's beaten practically everyone in that division, you know. Vitor Belfort is the last guy basically he had to fight. Now, this poses an interesting question. It's do you let him go up and wait? I mean, do you let him drop weight? and possibly fight GSP? Do you let him go up and wait, considering that he said he wouldn't fight Machida? Or do you find him another challenger? Well, Dana White was livid after that fight to the point where he pretty much tossed the belt at Silva's manager. He was disgusted. He actually said he walked out on the main event. That's how you know that Dana White w was taking this shit very personal. And the fact of the matter is that when he was interviewed after the fight, he was saying, you know, how, this is pretty much what he said, and I'm going to, you know, read his quote. I didn't like it from the first minute of the first round. Nobody's been more supportive of Anderson Silva than me, talking about him being the best pound-for-pound 
best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Even after a couple of goofy performances, I'll call, I, I'll call them. I still stood behind him and supported him. I think this guy is incredibly talented, and in the first couple of rounds, he was showboating and doing whatever he was doing, and that's not what I'm into. I don't like it. If you're that talented, be Mike Tyson. Go in and finish the fight in two minutes. I'd rather have somebody say, let's not buy the Anderson Silva fight because he knocks people out in two minutes rather than he runs around like a jackass for five rounds. Um, Data White went on to say that if Anderson Silva pulls any of that shit in his next fight, champion or not, he will be cut. And when he appeared on Rome is Burning this week, Anderson Silva said, I mean, um, Dana White confirmed that Anderson Silva's next middleweight title defense will be against Chael Sonnen. And um, a lot of people are saying it's going to happen sooner rather than later. I think one of the reasons is because Dana wants to get the belt off of Anderson. He kind of is starting to see that Anderson is not, you know, he's just not either, he's not either feeling the division or he's bored. I honestly think if he retains against Chael Sonnen, he should have a super fight with GSP. I mean, Dana White should just squeeze squeeze it for all it's worth and, you know, try and get some of the best fights out of Anderson Silva. I mean, his fight with Forrest Griffin, regardless of the fact that he did take Forrest Griffin apart, was a fantastic fight from start to finish. I think Anderson Silva needs to be challenged, and the only way to challenge him fully is by, like I said, giving him the GSP super fight, letting him fight at light heavy, and if he wants to fight at light heavy, force him to fight Lyoto Machida. It's one of those things where if you're the best pound-for-pound guy in the world, you should go out there and prove it. There's no necessity to sit there and showboat and clown around. It's like, look, man, you're not, you're, you're not paid by the hour. You're paid to, you know, for people to watch you put on a great athletic performance, not for you to dance around like a fucking idiot. So, in short, I, I really enjoyed what the card had to offer. I just didn't enjoy Anderson Silva's antics. I'm more than sure there's going to be people that are going to be sitting there listening to the show this week, and they're going to be like, oh, you know, Rich, you're full of shit. What the fuck, man? Anderson Silva did his thing. You know, he's there to defend the belt. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Defending the the belt involves you actually fighting, not you fucking dancing around. This This isn't Samba in Brazil. This is you in an octagon punching somebody in the face. That's what you're here for. It's unfortunate. I think that what happened... And this is really the second time. I think Anderson is just not into it like he used to be. I mean, to use an old uh, Shawn Michaels quote, Anderson Silva has uh, lost his smile. Let's just go with that. So uh, moving on. Um, Overall, UFC 112, like I said, was a great pay-per-view. And we'll see where it goes from there. We'll see what happens after the Anderson Silva debacle. It, It could be you know, a one-off occurrence, and he may just get his head back in the game and start fucking people up, or he may just need to get cut, and in which case, you know, he'll probably end up in strike force. Um, moving into the Ultimate Fighter, the Ultimate Fighter, as usual, continues to be solid week to week. Uh, this week, um, Chris Camozzi, who won his fight last week, um, is unable to continue. It seems that... Um, his jaw got broken in his last fight, and Dana White had to send him home, in which point Tito Ortiz had to go and pick himself uh, a new fighter, which he did. Um, Seth Bozinski ended up being the one that returned. And um, overall, there was a bit, of course, of teasing of tension, of course, between Chuck and Tito, 
and um, the fights ended up being James Hammertree for Team Ortiz and Brad Tavares from Team Liddell. Overall, fight solid from start to finish. Brad Tavares did some great work. Um, definitely a close round both times. They ended up going into, in, into the third, and Brad Tavares ended up taking it by unanimous decision. Tito feels that the fight, that the decision was bullshit, and, but yet he congratulated James on a good performance. Overall, I think that Team Ortiz has a great dynamic, but there seems to be some, some tension already brewing. Um, it was definitely shown with Tito smashing a door in the trailer for next week's episode. And, of course, there's already the huge debate on what's going to happen because at the end of the season, those many of us are expecting Chuck Liddell to be fighting Tito Ortiz. Unfortunately, something seems to have happened during the taping of the show, and Chuck Liddell will be fighting Rich Franklin instead of Tito. Now, I don't know if Rich Franklin is going to also be coaching, but he's definitely going to be fighting Chuck and not Tito. So definitely something to watch in the coming weeks. Um, I'm going to be glued to my set for sure just because I want to see what happens. Um, Twitter is definitely a buzz with all the different things that may or may not have happened. Uh, people on Twitter are giving Tito Ortiz a lot of shit, and, you know, he's, of course, responding in kind. Uh, the same rules apply to Chuck Liddell. You know, the Tito fans are giving Chuck some shit. It, it's crazy the way it's, it, it's going down that Twitter has become such a great promotional tool for fighters. But overall, the season so far has done really well. The fights have been pretty exciting. But Dana White said it best at the beginning of the season, never leave it in the hands of the judges. Never do it. So I hope that next week's episode has, you know, a knockout or a chokeout or something just because decision victories are great, but they're just not as exciting. And that's just me being a fan of violence overall. Um, what the hell else did I have? Ah, yes. How can I forget this? Um, UFC is going to be broadcasting their prelims for UFC 114 on May 29th. Um, Amir Sadal is going to be on the Spike TV event, as is Efrain Escudero, and he'll be fighting Dan Lazan. Um, UFC 114 is going to be a must-buy, at least for me. Uh, Rashad is going to be fighting Rampage. They're finally going to settle their beef. Uh, Forrest Griffin is going to be fighting Little Nog, um, Antonio Ruggiero Nogueira. Michael Bisping is going to be fighting on that card, so is Todd Duffy and Diego Sanchez as well. Uh, Melvin Gillard will be fighting on the prelims, as is Lewis Kane and Jesse Forbes. Um, I'm really hoping they do a 24-7 style uh, special for Rashad and Rampage, just because I definitely would like to see some insight into how these guys train, as well as the, the shit-talking that's going to occur now, especially with you know, Rampage coming back from doing the A-team and, you know, Rashad having a chip on his shoulder from the whole Rampage, you know, quitting on the UFC and going to do the A-team. So I'm definitely looking forward to that, and I really hope they do some sort of a special as well. Um, what am I missing? Ah, uh, yes, the UFC cut a couple of fighters this week as well. Some really talented guys got cut. It's unfortunate, but... Their records in the UFC just weren't promising. Uh, Rob Emerson got cut. He was 3-3 three and three in the UFC. Uh, Brad Blackburn was cut. Fabricio Camoz was cut. Um, MMA Junkies reporting that Mustafa Al-Turk got cut. He was 0-3 in the UFC. Um, there were also 
uh, Rafaelo Oliveira, he was one and two in the UFC, and Matt Veach was also cut. I mean, you know, when these guys get cut, I always feel bad because a lot of these guys have great, great, great careers in the UFC ahead of them. But, you know, you go, you, you fight in a couple of other organizations, and then you make your way back. So that's how I see it. Um, last but not least, of course, the UFC is going to probably main event UFC 118 in Boston with Frankie Edgar fighting BJ Penn with the rematch. And also they're probably going to do a number one contenders fight between Kenny Florian and Gray Maynard. Kenny Florian, of course, would have home field advantage since he's a native of Boston. UFC hasn't, hasn't confirmed these fights yet, but it's definitely certain that it's going to be for the 118 pay-per-view. And with that, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to talk a little wrestling. Be back in a fit. Peace. I wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you save me? This is the deal of the century, people. I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight? Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. BlogTalkRadio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? Hey, this is Rachel from MMA Hot Stuff, and you're listening to My Take Radio. All right, and we're back. Let's talk a little wrestling. First off, Ezekiel Jackson, uh, last ECW champion, um, ended up getting injured in Glasgow, Scotland last Saturday. He ended up suffering a tear in his white quadriceps. Uh, wow. Talk about a slip of the tongue. In his right quadriceps. Uh, he went to Birmingham, Alabama to see Dr. James Andrews, and, of course, surgery was performed. He's going to be out at least six months. Um, it seems, you know, quad tears, definitely. A lot of people thought that he had injured his ACL, but a tear of the quad, they're saying six months. Triple H tore his quad twice. And um, I don't see six months being a viable option. I'm looking more at a year. But eh, maybe his tear was in a different place or a different sort of tear. But six months is a stretch. ESPN interviewed Brock Lesnar earlier this week and asked him about a possibility of returning to the WWE. Brock Lesnar said, I wouldn't be opposed to it um, as a guest host or for something like that, a one-off appearance. I'm still focused on fighting right now, but if the opportunity arose someday, I'd never say never. I definitely think that Brock Lesnar would be a good guest host for Raw, given his, you know, his previous history with the organization, on top of the fact that he would give UFC even more exposure. The only thing is that for some people, they'll see that as, you know, the UFC catering to WWE in terms of just, you know, sideshow type of angles. So, you know, they'd probably let Brock Lesnar do it, but they'd be like, look, you can't get hit with no fucking chairs. You can't go in and give anybody the F5. So we'll see what happens. I definitely think Brock Lesnar would be a great fit for that. Um, next week's Raw guest hosts. This week, of course, Raw was hosted by David Hasselhoff, who, of course, opened Raw by driving onto the uh, arena with Kit from Knight Rider. So overall, not a bad hosting gig. You know there had to be a Baywatch Divas match, which there was, of course. Um, overall, solid. They continued advancing the Extreme Rules pay-per-view. Next week, the cast of the pile of shit known as McGruber will be hosting Raw. Will Forte, Kristen Wiig, and Ryan Phillippe will be hosting. 
So, you know it's going to be Shameless McGruber plugging, especially because a lot of the wrestlers um, from WWE are in the movie. So, there's going to be a lot of that. I'm really hoping that they just move it along, try not to do a lot of backstage shit, and keep the, uh, the decent episodes of Monday Night Raw moving forward. But we'll see what happens next week. Also, in some TNA news, uh, this past Monday on TNA Impact, they did an angle where Jeff Hardy got a fireball thrown in his face. Um, the, those angles, to me, are always really, really dangerous just because, you know, a little bit of, of off-timing, and you can really fuck somebody up really bad. And as it turns out, Jeff Hardy ended up suffering some burns from the incident. Uh, it singed his eyes, an area of his forehead, as well as his lips. Uh, his girlfriend said on Twitter that she hoped that he wouldn't have to do something like that again. Um, if you want to see video of that, definitely head over to uh, TNAWrestling.com and check that out. It's, it's weird just because, you know, ECW was good for that, especially with Raven and stuff. And It's just fire is one of those things that, you know, you can't, it's not controllable to the point where somebody is not going to get hurt. But nonetheless, I uh, hope he didn't get fucked up too bad and, Hopefully we won't be seeing shit like that next week. In some WWE news, um, SmackDown will no longer be broadcast on My Network TV starting October 1st. SmackDown will be moving to Sci-Fi, and they will be replacing WWE NXT. Now, this poses the question, is NXT getting canceled? Is it going to continue? Most likely it's going to be canceled. I really don't see NXT being super successful for them to want to put it on another network. There was talk of moving it to Bravo. Don't know how that's going to work out. I mean, they could make it an internet series and people could watch it on WWE.com, but I don't know if that's going to take off either. So we'll see what happens, but you, you are not going to be seeing SmackDown on broadcast television after October 1st. And last but not least, WWE is actually starting to do the fans some service, and they're starting to put more of their releases on Blu-ray, the best pay-per-view matches of 2009-2010 DVD and Blu-ray are going to be released um, probably next month or the month after to coincide with the release of WrestleMania 26 on Blu-ray. Also, Best Buy has an exclusive deal now to only offer WWE Blu-ray before any other provider. So if you're a WWE fan and you want to start getting um, certain pay-per-views in high definition, the only place you're going to be able to get them is at Best Buy. With that, I'm going to take a quick commercial break. Um, probably our guest should be on when I come back. If not, we'll bang out a little bit of game news right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, and we're back. Um... Obviously, it's still a little early. Guests haven't arrived yet, at least uh, not that I'm aware of because I haven't refreshed the switchboard, but I'm more than sure Slick will let me know. Um, you know what? Start a little bit of game news. First off, 
the fifth generation of Pokemon games have been given their titles finally. Pokemon Black and Pokemon White will be out later this fall in Japan. The two titles were announced late last, well, a few days ago, actually. And um, there'll be some more information released or later on this week, probably some screenshots and stuff. I've seen some already. Um, of course, it's going to be the continuation of Nintendo raping gamers' pockets. Not that I'm shitting on the Pokemon franchise, because it is a great cash cow. It is one of those things that's going to be uh, definitely a moneymaker. There's rumors uh, going around that it is only going to be for the DS and not for the 3DS. There's, And that right now, to me, is speculative. I think that if you're going to put something like that out, you're going to want to put it on the stronger hardware, especially if you're trying to get um, insertion into into the market for a new handheld. No, no better way to do it than with the newest Pokemon franchise. Uh, the screenshots are only on the Japanese side as of now. Something tells me they're going to be on my take radio before the weekend. So definitely, if you're not able to access them, stay tuned. Hopefully, I will, myself or Slick, will be able to make that happen. You're going to get 100 new Pokemon. Um, there's definitely a lot of racial jokes that can be made about Pokemon Black and Pokemon White. I'm not going to make them because I don't want Al Sharpton knocking on my door and threatening to whoop my ass. Besides the fact that, you know, going, going that lowbrow with Pokemon Black and Pokemon White would uh, be a disservice to the franchise. For those of you that are Pokemon fans, definitely gives you something more to look forward to. Um, one of our listeners and fellow forum members, Mudkips, participated in the My Take Radio WrestleMania Picks Contest for the forum members, and he actually ended up winning Pokemon Heart Silver with the Pokewalker, which he actually received today. So congratulations to Mudkips. Um, he ended up splitting the prize with Brian, um, a.k.a. Bronx, for those fellow forum members that are here. Um, we're going to see what he's going to decide to get as his prize and Mortis ended up winning the UFC Fight Picks prize. His prize will be going out in a few weeks. Um, those of you that are still playing Modern Warfare 2, which is probably a lot of you, and are playing it on the PS3, you'll be able to get the Stimulus Package Map Packs on May 4th. Those that are in Australia and the European Union on May 5th, and the PC version of the Stimulus Package will be available May 4th. If you want any further details, you can head over to Modern Warfare 2, Dot com. Not, not, you know, Modern Warfare is one of those games that after the map pack came out and crashed people's systems and all this crap, it, it's, it, I don't know, man. I mean, you're paying for more maps. I just think they're, they're dragging it out, especially with what happened between Infinity Ward and um, what's going on with EA and Activision, which I'll discuss later on in the broadcast. I think that Modern Warfare... While it is a great game and people are still playing it, the multiplayer component is slowly being, you know, chewed away by games like Battlefield Bad Company, um, for PS3 gamers, MAG. But I, I just feel that Modern Warfare 2 is a lot, of, a lot of style, a lot of substance. But the novelty wears off really quick. I'm, if anything, I'd, I'm probably going to try and see if I do an informal poll. Maybe I'll put that up on the site next week or later, this, later tonight, about how many people bought Modern Warfare 2 and are still playing it. I'm just curious to see, because after you do the single-player campaign and a couple of online matches, you know, what, you know, what are you going to do? 
But nonetheless, we'll discuss that later on in the broadcast. Um, I have Jeff on hold from Deadliest Warrior, and we're going to bring him in. Jeff. Hey, Rich. What's going on, man? What's going on, dude? Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So, I know that uh, I'm waiting for Max and Dr. Dorian, and they're uh, they're cutting into the 30-minute allotted time limit that the network gave me. But uh, nonetheless, since we last spoke... um, you know, before I get into season season two, because obviously I want to have the three of you guys to discuss, you ended up starting uh, Jeff, JeffDMaline.com, and uh, you actually put out some really cool shirts. You want to tell the listeners a little bit about that? Oh, for sure, man. Well, I, I mean, thanks a lot for plugging that, by the way. But uh, basically, if you go to my website, JeffDMaline.com, you'll find an area that you can shop in. And we've started up a really small apparel store there right now. It's called GTD Apparel. Um, but the logo is pretty cool. It's a G and the T in the shape of Thor's hammer, and which is my middle name, Thor, and then D. So that's that's the logo, which is pretty cool. We're going to put that on some stuff. And uh, but the current designs are basically a mix of gratuitous violins and science and engineering, which is you know becoming a really popular concept not only for the show Deadliest Warrior, but also as a brand for myself. So. I thought I'd, uh, you know, spin something off and and uh, try to, uh, you know, get the name out there. And I think, you know, it helps promote the show. It helps promote me. And, and I think it's just a good combination. And uh, it was an easy thing to do. And, and I hope people really enjoy it. And, and I don't know if you've been following it on Twitter, but uh, people have been taking pictures of themselves with the shirts on and, and sending it to me and stuff like that. It's really great. And so I'm going to post some of those on the website as well. Yeah, I actually made a post about it on the Facebook fan page for the show. Um, if you get a chance, definitely stop by. You can check it out. I gave you a plug in there. I'm actually going to oh, prob- probably sweet, within the next week order a shirt. <laughs> I'm going to awesome, order man. a shirt, and you'll get a photo from me too. No, wicked, wicked. No, you won't be disappointed. <laughs> I like it, man. I like the design. I like the, uh, you know, you added a little bit of a personal touch to it. You know, the fact that your middle name is Thor is pretty badass too, so... <laughs> There's some props to that. I know a lot of people gave you a lot of shit for it. Probably they were like, "Oh man, that's your middle well, name." Well, you know, growing up it was a curse, but uh, you know, after the age of about twenty, it was nothing but cool, and and it really fits for for the show. So it it's been fantastic. But uh, um, you know, we're definitely going to be thinking of uh, of different designs and and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, lots more to come. Nice. Um, I am seeing that Dr. Dorian is in. And I think Max as well, I believe. Let's bring in Dr. D first. How's it going, guys? Hey, hey Dr. Dorian, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, just uh, trying to control the emergency department here and get on the radio. So, Are you serious? Oh, my God. Are you yeah. at work right now? Yeah, I'm at work. So if you hear oh, a code okay. blue, I may have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Sounds like a plan, and I think Max is on hold too. So we'll see if we bring him on. Well, you know, Doctor Dorian's probably less busy at work than he is at home, so it's probably fine. <laughs> Call from there. <laughs> exactly. Max, are you? Is that you? Excellent. Although, oh shit! Here we go. <laughs> Max has been taking so voice long. lessons. <laughs> I see that. Um, since the last time I had uh, you two guys on, I'll, I'll, uh, I want to put the spotlight on Dr. Dorian real quick. Of course, uh, Dr. Dorian, 
is the medical expert on the Deadliest Warrior for Season 1 as well as for Season 2. Um, he is also, of course, a medical practitioner. He is a UFC doctor as well. Um, Dr. Dorian, you know, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself if I left anything out. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. I'm an ER doc, you know, UCLA trained. I work in trauma rooms. I've been an ER doc for now 10 years. Uh, I've done a lot of media stuff. I've uh, been on a lot of Discovery and Learning Channel shows. I was a consultant for the show ER for a couple of years, done Grey's Anatomy, Hawthorne. But without a doubt, the coolest show that I've been involved with is uh, Deadliest Warrior. Uh, I mean, we got to do stuff that I want to do as a kid and then actually bring some of my medical trauma knowledge and, you know, put it to some good use. Nice. And, um, of course, Max Max is the, uh, the, the, the brain, so to speak, that puts the fights together <laughs> in, from, from a software perspective. He is, all, he is also the guy with the, with, with the most badass hairdo on the show. <laughs> but um, besides that, um, what have you been doing, Max, besides the show since we last spoke? Dude, I have been working at a friend's indie game company called uh, Giant Sparrow. You can check it out right now at www.giantsparrow.com. Um, we've been making this game called The Unfinished Swan. Uh, it's a surreal experience where you're trapped in an all-white world and you're throwing paint around uh, to sort of paint the white world and find your way out. Uh, and it's, it's very excellent, but I've been working like 12-hour days on it since we wrapped the show. Uh, so I am totally exhausted, but also like totally ready to just like shoot the shit. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you were excited as soon as you guys were ready to go back to the uh, to the second season, which of course, for those of you that don't know, premieres April 20th at 10 p.m. on Spike. Um, but of course, I got the rundown on some of the matches. First off, um, how'd you guys feel with the opportunity that you guys were going to get a a, a second go at it. Did you think that the response would be as huge as it's gotten? I, I, shit, I saw a shirt for Deadliest Warrior and Hot Topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty unreal. I mean, the amount of following that got developed at the end of the first season, and it just kept growing. It's just, I've been shocked. Um, and, you know, just the anticipation for the second season has been pretty unreal. Yeah, the thing yeah, that's totally nice. blown me away is that every episode that they posted online now has over a million views on Spike.com. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I watched and, some of them at work. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget, there's the recap show just you know, prior to prior the 10 p.m. Uh, new show, right? Uh, we're going to back to blood. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. 8.30 to 10 p.m. is going to be a recap of season one where we talk about, we actually bring in the winners of season one. We determine who is the deadliest, you know, ancient warrior, deadliest, Modern Warriors Season 1, so that's nice. cool, too. All right. Well, in going through some of the, uh, some of the matches, I know you're not, you're not going to give away a lot of stuff, but there's some, there's some definite questions. Um, Nazi SS versus Viet Cong, first off. Um, great did, one to start how with. Did you, oh, yeah, that's a great one to start with. Just because how did you guys feel about, you, you know, touching such a, such a touchy subject, especially when you have to get – experts in that, you know, in that genre, so to speak. Rich, Rich, we got away with IRA versus Taliban last year. We, you know, we can pretty much do anything now. Yeah, but people hate the Taliban. I mean, people hate the Taliban a lot, but when you get to Nazis, man, you kill them in fucking games, you know, for fun. Like, you don't start <laughs> killing the Taliban in every game. You kill Nazis in practically every game. Now, yeah, they're starting to go into Afghanistan and stuff, but 
Nazis are a real touchy subject. So how did you guys feel about approaching that? And, you know, what was the methodology when they brought it to you? Like, hey, we're going to do Nazis. Well, and you know, to get technical, it was actually the, the Waffen-SS. And if you talk to the experts, um, they have different views on it. And they, the way they were talking about it was that the Waffen-SS, um, the elite SS that was protecting, you know, Hitler's guard, that's kind of, you know, where all the bad connotation were. Whereas if you look at the guys further out from Hitler um, and more uh, mainstream Waffen-SS, they didn't have those kind of views on elitism and, and things like that. But, you know, somebody else want to pick, pick up for us? I don't want to take all, all the joy on this one. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll basically put it to you this way. Um, you know, on the show, what we do is we evaluate the warrior. We don't evaluate the politics. Uh, we don't get into much of the broader context. Um, and the reason why they brought the Waffen SS to us is because they're the weapons SS. Uh, we wanted to look at an elite special force. Um, and the thing, too, is that pairing up SS versus Viet Cong is those are two of the greatest villains in American history in the past century. And so if you pair up a sort of a villainous warrior versus a heroic warrior from the American standpoint, uh, you run into a little bit of trouble there. And I'm, I think Green Beret versus Spetsnaz last season showed that we weren't always, you know, rooting on the side of the good guys, so to speak. Um, but just pairing up sort of two historical villains, quote-unquote, uh, makes it easier to sort of uh, stand back and be a little bit more objective. Uh, you know, uh, we're not subconsciously rooting for the good guy in this case. Yeah, and you've got to think oh, yeah, of it I that we're, yeah, we're taking it at more of a historical, factual level, uh, and there isn't really somebody that we're like, you have pom-poms behind saying, good luck, or, you know, we want you to win. <laughs> it's more about, you know, it, it is in every video game because, there's a reason. These guys were, you know, they, they knew how to kill, and they had a science behind their weapons. And so we really want to break that down and see how they would match up against the Viet Cong, who had their own unbelievable kind of techniques and were able to use their, I guess, environment to um, basically become a, a notorious killer. So in the end, it's all about bringing the, you know, historical facts and trying to pull out the science from it and then see who would win between these two. I was just going to say briefly, you know, tying in something that we talked about last time we chatted, Rich, was, uh, you know, that book on combat um, talks a lot about the, you know, the psychological ability to kill. And when you believe that your opponent is the equivalent of a dog, you kind of remove that human aspect and it's much easier for that warrior to do his job. And, and that's kind of, those are the kind of points that are, that are real that I think people are interested in uh, when they look at these two warriors. Well, you know, I was going to ask that because it, the thing is, in, in researching that and in working with um, the weapons experts, and I'm going to pitch this to Dr. Dorian, uh, you know, during, during the time when we were in conflict with the SS as well as the Viet Cong, obviously, you know, a lot of the war injuries and things of that nature were just horrific. I mean, with the, with the advancement in medicine now, you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, there's better prosthetics, there's skin grafts, there's things of that nature. When you actually saw the savagery of some of these weapons that they were using back then, how, how did you feel in terms of, you know, from a medical standpoint, how did you, did, did you, um, I, I guess did, yeah. what I want to say is did you feel bad for the medical practitioners back then? Because you're like, wow, man, you guys are treating for some really bad shit. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's definitely unreal. It's so unreal that we just experienced it in Haiti. So it's something that you're like uh, doing amputations with no medication, uh, uh, realizing the type of carnage that people were causing and not having the ability. I mean, the main advancement, forget about all that stuff that you said with modernization, is triage, getting somebody to definitive care. That's the coolest thing that we have established over the last 30 years is like if you can get somebody into a hospital, into a trauma room, I can save them. But if you can't get them there and it takes them six, eight, ten hours, I got no chance. And that, those are the biggest advancements. And then you see the weapons that were created uh, during these wars and the way they were mutilating bodies. It's like there's no chance. And these poor medics out there trying to, I mean, they were just sitting ducks themselves because they're running into fire trying to help somebody out. So it, it was very, it's it definitely shocking to see. Yeah, that's, I, I, was, I really wanted to ask you about that because when I was reading the, the list, you know, I was like, wow, this gets really crazy. Then um, another one that, that got my attention was uh, Persian Immortals. You know, as a fan of the 300, um, seeing them included uh, definitely got my attention. Um, was there any, any particular reason why, why that particular warrior was picked, or did you oh, guys have any yeah. input Dude, on that? Okay, okay you've got to respect ancient Persia, all right? Uh, we in the West like to think of, you know, Greece as sort of, uh, the, you know, the beginnings of our civilization. And then we also tend to go and we say, yeah, the Roman Empire was super awesome. But if you don't acknowledge what the Persians were able to do in crafting the Persian Empire, my God, man, that is a huge chunk of history. All right. The Persian immortals were the elite of the elite. And I think one of the things that uh, this episode is going to do is it's going to take away... Uh, I don't know. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna show the Persian immortal in a good light. They're not just cannon fodder for Spartans, all right? Yeah, it's I mean, <laughs> if you're if you're gonna be walking out there and calling yourself an immortal, you better back it up. And you know, the, the, <laughs> they definitely do do that. That's. I it got my attention. I noticed you guys added some gangs in there. You know, with the Somali pirates and the Medellin cartel, um, and of course the Jesse James gang and a little bit of Al Capone as well. Um, with Al Capone, I know you guys had to have seen a Tommy gun get used. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, how did our buddy Joe Torso feel? Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, Joe Torso didn't feel so hot after that one. Although I don't think he went up against the Tommy gun directly. No, he didn't. Ah, okay. And also I saw you guys brought in some historical figures with Vlad the Impaler and Sun Tzu, I definitely am, am amped to see that, you know, you, you're basically talking about the guy that created the art of war, and I, I'm, I'm dying to see some of the strategies that were used for that. Um, when, when, that was brought, when that was brought in, how'd you guys, did you guys like, like holy shit, this is going to be insane. Like, how did you guys, you know, embrace that particular battle? Oh, you know, as soon as I found out we were going to do uh, Sun Tzu, I went out and bought the book, Art of War, and read it because I wanted to, you know, read up on this guy. And and uh, one thing that I really respect of uh, all the Asian, um, you know, arts uh, in particular, you know, Sun Tzu and we have um, uh, a Ming warrior and stuff like that, is that their level of thought behind what they do seems to be higher than other, um, you know, civilizations and uh it's just very, very interesting to me, some of the weapons that come out, and uh, I, I think you're really going to like it. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. Um, one thing I wanted to tell you, and uh, the, when you guys were talking about the landmines and the, um, the charity organization for that, I wanted to ask, 
is that organization going to be showcased again this season, even though you guys aren't covering that, or is there another organization that, you know, that fans of the show can also support? Because I know I'm looking, keeping an eye on the clock, and I wanted to ask about that as well. Well, I think actually the uh, United Nations Association of the United States of America has actually shut down the Adopt a Minefield program. Um, I can double check oh, on that, man. but I think they sent out a newsletter um, uh, earlier last year about that. Um, but there's still a great program. Um, you can still donate to them. There's tons of other great humanitarian causes. But, uh, no, production did not uh, embrace or get behind any charities this year. Okay. All right. I figured I'd have to put that out there. Also, um, I wanted to ask about the Navy SEAL and Israeli commandos. That's always been something that we, we talk about. I had a friend of mine. He was in the Marines, and he was always saying, he's like, yo, man, the, the Israeli commandos are no joke. Um, the, the experts, the experts that came for that, were they some, some hardcore dudes or (laughs) were they as scary as the Germans? Were they as scary as the Germans? Scarier. Yeah. I mean, the Israeli commandos are definitely no joke. It's guys you don't want to mess with. Yeah. You know what impressed me the most about, uh, those, that matchup was the Israeli commandos were no joke. There's no question. And I thought overall they were the better warrior, but. The SEAL's ability to get rounds downrange quickly and on target was bar none the best we've seen on the show yet. And that may make the difference in the sim. Nice. And also I saw a video of you guys testing the, uh, the SWAT team armor. Um, any, any mishaps this season? I know that, that Jeff, you got, you got hurt. I think you put something up about a tooth, if I remember. <laughs> any other mishaps? Yeah, yeah. Any other mishaps? <laughs> Yeah, that was from him brushing too hard. <laughs> somebody somebody tell the story truth that, Dr. <laughs> Big trauma, chip tooth. Yeah, yeah, but seriously, seriously, one of you guys has got to tell the uh, toolbox story because you guys are better at it than I am. Oh, Jeff. sure. Well, basically, um, during the, the Viet Cong versus the, the Waffen SS matchup, we had this landmine called the Palm Z2. M, actually, this Palm Z2M mine, and uh, we were all just on flat ground, probably about 200 meters, 300 meters away from this thing, okay, and we had Lexan in front of us, but the, the tool chest, my Red Craftsman tool chest, was just outside, right at the same distance uh, as we were, but just outside the Lexan, and this thing went off, and a piece of shrapnel went right through the metal, of that toolbox, and I'm convinced that if it would have hit the Lexan, it would have went right through that Lexan. I mean, we're putting our lives on the line for you guys. Yeah, well, we love you for it, man. We love all the damage that you <laughs> take and all the, uh, all the witty, all the witty dialogue. Come yeah, on, I mean, you guys, you guys, it, some work. That that shrapnel would have definitely killed a guy my size, you know, just six feet tall. But six foot four, Jeff, he would have lived. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> don't forget, don't forget, two hundred and forty-five pounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. I got a, a question from a, from the chat um, from Josh, and he was curious as to which warrior was the scariest from a mentality perspective, and also which warrior had the craziest backstory. Oh, dude, dude, Vlad the Impaler is scary. Yeah, Vlad the Impaler is scary. Backstory, upfront story, any story. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, you'll, definitely, you'll definitely see some backstory with the Impaler yeah. text. 
That's crazy. And also from a mentality standpoint, there was nobody that psychologically, when you were researching them, was like, wow, this guy's the worst. Or, or did Vladimir oh, Palin take that title as well? Uh, I'd have dude. to say for the – well, I mean, okay, historically speaking, I mean, everyone's going to favor Vlad on that one. But for me personally, with the guys that we had on set, I'd have to go with the SEALs this time around only because they have this thing called violence of action, okay? And it just means that whatever you're going to do, you do it as violent and as quick <laughs> and as damaging as you can. And these guys were no joke. And even the way they talked and the way they performed, like, I, like I'm saying, I'm, I, I cannot stress this enough, Rich. These guys, their ability to put rounds downrange on target very, very fast was beyond anything we've seen on the show before. And on that alone, like their a, a level of aggression when they're performing a test was by, bar none the scariest we'd seen. That's crazy, man. Yeah, the, the Navy SEALs, and you know, from a modern standpoint, you know, they, they're they're one of the most elite units in the military. You know, same same thing with the uh, with the Marine Special Forces, um, you know, Army Guard. Those guys go in there and they put in some major work. But if the Navy SEAL is putting the fear of God in you, then I definitely want to see that episode for sure. Oh, that's why it's the anchor show. I'm I'm sure of it. But you know, having said that, I was totally impressed by the SWAT team as well. I mean, the weapons that they're bringing on the show, um, the EOTech sighting system, is basically a little right. red dot that uses a fighter pilot heads-up display technology. Okay, so it's a little reticle on this heads-up display that moves around, and wherever that red dot is, is where your round's going to land. Okay, oh and my they God. use. Oh, yeah, it's, it's hardcore, and they use the advanced 6.8-millimeter round, which is essentially taking the best of both worlds. Like, you've got the standard 5.56-millimeter uh, NATO round, okay, and which is very accurate but not as hard-hitting as the, the old 7.62-millimeter. So they're now using what's, you know, a 6.8-millimeter round that basically has the accuracy of the 5.56, but the stopping power is 7.62, so... We get to feature that on the show as well. And, and they were really, really nice guys. And that body armor test that you were talking about earlier was actually something that wasn't even planned. They, they gave us a call and said, hey, you guys want to come shoot with us one day? And it just so happened that day, um, you know, we brought the flip cam, and they were swapping out their body armor. And uh, we're like, hell, let's get this on the flip cam. And sure enough, Spike put it on the website, and, and I thought it's a great addition. Yeah, some of the the body armor that from what I saw in the video, um, the the stopping power in that are, are they? Would you re say it's more stopping power from a handgun perspective? Like if somebody shot it at them with body armor from a handgun versus say you know twelve gauge or double pump? Yeah. How would well the thing yeah, is I know I power like I should have asked them what class that was. There's actually several classes of body armor. Okay. And they all come with different uh, pros and cons. And, you know, I believe that the police use a class three, military uses class four, and they'll stop, you know, um, you know, different types of weapons. But this particular one, we took a, took a slug from a shotgun, okay? And it didn't go through the body armor. Okay, that's the number one thing. But just because the body armor um, doesn't get penetrated doesn't mean it can't kill you. Yeah, and it takes about... 44 millimeters um, of what we call back face signature. That's the amount of denting into the body that occurs when you get hit. About 44 millimeters, 
And after that, you start to cause, you know, significant injury. Well, in terms of uh, of the modern, in terms of the modern warriors, and uh, and I'll ask um, this one, uh, Doctor Dorian, how did how did you feel that their the the modern weapons were in terms of accuracy, in terms of damaging vital organs? Like I know blunt objects, you know, blunt blunt force weapons are gonna you know impact the skull and the brain, but in terms of accuracy, especially with firearms and bow bow and arrow, how do you feel that it's gotten to the point where the accuracy is so sub- so precise that you can hit, you know, the heart, you know, from 100 yards out, or you can hit the eye from 100 yards out? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, I was so blown away by these guys' professionalism and their accuracy, especially with the sniper uh, rifles that both the SWAT and GSG-9 were using. I mean, the accuracy was just unreal. We set up this really, really cool test that I don't want to give away, and okay. <laughs> the, the way they basically demonstrated this test the accuracy was so on point that I don't think we, I don't think anybody believed it. I don't think they even believed it until we went and actually observed the gel torsos that they shot. I mean, it was it was really impressive. And what I guess is scary is the fact that you could do this from so far out. And I mean, look, there's a lot of trauma, there's a lot of blood in this this season. But to be able to do it in such a pinpoint precise way, I mean, it was awesome. He's talking about the sniper test, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have but, but the way we set it up is much cooler than that explanation. Yeah, yeah. So basically, well, I, I mean, do you want me to get it? I don't know. I mean, I don't want to give too much away. But look, we have a situation where there's like a hostage uh, yeah. with, you know, a guy with a shooting through a window and trying to make sure they don't. Kill the uh, kid, you know, kill the innocent victim, and demonstrate how accurate they could be. And they got to one up each other. There is, you know, the elements of the environment: wind, sun, um, distance. Oh my God! Uh, it's really even intense. The ammo, even the yeah. ammo was designed to actually puncture through the glass without changing trajectory before it hit its mark. I mean, we get into all of that. It's awesome. Yeah, it yeah. really. There's no doubt this season is so much more amped up and so much more precise. Yeah, yeah. And, awesome. and yeah. if you want to see more about that test before uh, the actual premiere, uh, there's a couple of great videos on uh, warrior.spike.com in the Warriors Den. Nice. I'll actually link to some of those in the notes. Um, there's a, two minutes left, gentlemen. I know that the uh, the network's probably listening. Um, <laughs> before, I let, before I let you guys go, um, please, by all means, feel free to promote any of your projects. Um, oh, that Jeff, sounds good to me. <laughs> Curry, Curry Jeff, you can, Jeff, you can go first. Um, I know you got a jeffdemoline.com, but um, any other projects and anything else you want to promote for the for the fans of the show to listen or to check out? No, man, we spent a good amount of time before these guys got on uh, talking about uh, jeffdemoline.com. But uh, uh, what about cardio water there, Doc? Yeah, I, I, this is something that's very important. I uh, actually have um, a drink that I developed with two other physicians. It's called... Uh, cardio water or docs cardio water and what it is is actually we all know that red wine is good for you and what we did is we took the ingredient that is inside of red wine it's called resveratrol and we multiplied it by a hundred so in one uh, serving you get a hundred glasses worth of resveratrol which is it basically protects your heart uh, both if you're an athletic guy or a non-athletic guy so if you're having burger and fries and you're worried about developing plaque in your arteries Resveratrol is your salvation, and so we developed it. It's called Doc's Cardi Water. It's now at Whole Foods, Henry stores, so it's pretty much all over. Uh, it's almost nationwide now. So uh, go ahead and try it. 
Do you have a website for it? What's that? Do you have a website for it? Yeah, the website is uh, drinkdocs.com, D-R-I-N-K-D-O-X.com. Yeah, right. it'll work for uh, the Jeff Damons of the world, but also the Max Gaggers of the world. You punchy dude. Well, of course. Computer. <laughs> well, of course, Max, other than the, uh, the, uh, the badass hair, what else do you got to promote? <laughs> I, you know, I just got to ask anybody who's listening right now to go ahead and check out uh, giantsparrow.com. Um, you know, Giant is in a big dude, Sparrow is in the bird, um, and, you know, maybe leave a comment on our blog. Uh, we're working real hard at making this uh, video game right now. Um, maybe, you know, I'll come back and talk about it some other time. Uh, but uh, it's an indie game. We're, you know, going pedal to the metal on it right now. And uh, I'd love to say more, but I can't even say what publisher and what platform it's coming to. Uh, but expect a big announcement maybe September of this year. I don't know. I can't promise nice. anything. Oh, well, I want you back for that, dude, for sure. And, you know, any, any other projects, um, of course, Dr. Dorian, you're, you're welcome to come back on the show at any time, you know, to you know, lend a hand and give us some knowledge also, because since I cover MMA, I'd love to pick your brain on some MMA yeah, stuff. Anytime, well. any, yeah, anytime there's any type of injury, trauma, give me a call. All right, guys. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. The three of you have a great night, and as always, thanks for supporting My Take Radio and stopping by. Awesome. Thank All right. You, Rich. Thanks, Rich. All right, guys, have a good night. You bet. Bye. All right, folks, you just heard Max Geiger, Jeff DeMoline, and Dr. Armand Dorian from The Deadliest Warrior. You can check them out this Tuesday, April 20th on Spike TV. Um, Some of the things that we're talking about will be listed um, post-show on the site, but if you want to check any of their projects out, Max Geiger's project is giantsparrow.com. Uh, Doc's Cardio Water uh, with Reservatrol. You can check that out, drinkdocs.com. And it's also on Facebook, I believe. You can look up the Facebook fan page for Doc's Cardio Water. And, of course, and of course jeffdemoline.com, G-E-O-F-F-D-E-S-M-O-U-L-I-N.com. Check out some of the cool shirts he's offering. Um, I just got a PM from Josh that he ordered a shirt. Stop through, check it out. You guys might like what they have to offer. And with that, let's move into the remainder of the video game news. Those links, as well as some of the things that were discussed, will be posted on the site later this evening or at some point this weekend. Um, Thanks to Spike TV and thanks to uh, the guys for stopping through and spending some time with us. Let's talk about some games. Um, Cliff Blazinski, good old Cliffy B. Let's... uh, Let's spend a few minutes talking about Cliffy B. Um, for those of you that um, haven't heard, Cliffy B, um, I messaged him via Twitter um, a while back with the intent of getting him on the show to talk about just video games in general, upcoming projects, things of that nature. Um, there was really nothing from me that would have appeared that I was going to try and get any information out of him for Gears of War 3 and shit like that. Nonetheless... Here's what happens. Of course, I message him, hey, you know, fan of your work, would love to have you on the show. I'm sure my listeners would love to talk to you, blah, 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 blah. Long story short, he pretty much said no. And he was, he said no, but it wasn't like a regular no. It was like, you know, I want to be a douchebag no. All right, cool. Um, I kind of went along with it, like I said, for the benefit of the show. Solicited again, hey, man, love to have you by, yada, 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 no response. 
comes to New York, does Fallon, does it acknowledge me, does it acknowledge the show, no sweat. So, of course, I put up a little post about it. It was actually one of the most viewed posts in recent memory. And um, I took the opportunity and mentioned what he was going to announce, which was Gears of War 3, which he announced on Jimmy Fallon's show on Monday night, and also the game Bulletstorm, which was announced, which was announced on Game Informer. Now, here's my issue. Cliffy B, well, Cliff Blazinski, because he's not... He's not a fan of being called Cliffy B. Whatever. Who gives a shit? Cliffy B um, was like many of us. I can even equate myself to him. Basically, blips on a small radar that were starting out in the game, trying to do something, whether it was a game, special project, something, anything to make our mark on the world, um, of course, with with, with the motivation of money behind it. And along the way, many of us forget where the fuck we came from. Cliffy B, I would like to cite as an example of that. Look, we're not, My Take Radio is not the, um, the end-all, be-all. It's not, you know, I'm not uh, syndicated on a national network. I'm not um, on Spike TV or Sirius or any of that shit. I'm an independent guy that hu- that's hustling to try and spread my opinion and my views amongst the masses. And, of course, you know, interact with more people and uh, share, share my thoughts with people that think similar to how I think. That was it. I wasn't going to come in and try and, you know, squeeze in for information about Gears of War 3. Frankly, I didn't give a fuck about it because I knew it was coming. We all knew how Gears of War 3 was coming. Would have been nice just to get some insight in terms of, you know, uh, the gaming process in terms of the game from creation to inception to beta testing, um, the inner workings of Epic Games, shit like that. I didn't want you to come on here and break the news of your fucking game, dude. Nobody gave a shit. Everybody knew that the fucking game was going to come out. But no, we want to be on our little high horse and forget about all the little people that put you where you are. It's fuckers like me and dudes that are listening in the show, in the show's chat room, that buy the Gears of War games and choose to support you and all your fucking projects. Don't get me wrong. I'm still going to continue playing Gears of War 3 because it's a, it's a group effort. He wasn't the only one behind it. But I'm definitely soured on him personally. And I think it's, uh, it's utter shit, and I kind of felt disrespected, and I thought that the show was slighted in the sense that we weren't even given credit. But, you know, he's doing media for Europe, for Europe press outlets. You know, he's doing Fallon. He's doing all these little appearances here in New York, you know, in the home of fucking My Take Radio, and I can't even get 20 minutes. You know, I really can get into this on a whole other level and attack him just for for being a zero that became somebody because of a game. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not going to acknowledge it any further. The fact is he fucked up, didn't give us any love, and fuck him. That's it. Cliffy B, fuck you. That's it. And I'll play Gears of War 3. But guess what? I may just buy the shit used because I refuse to give you $60 so you can kiss my ass. Moving on. Those of you that are still playing Uncharted 2, guess what? You're going to get some downloadable content April 22nd. You're going to get a new co-op game, two multiplayer maps, and 11 new trophies plus six new skins. The the first co-op game is going to be called The Siege, which is where the downloadable content gets its name from. It's going to be two or three players against endless waves of AI enemies. 
The objective is to capture and hold the territory, which changes every round, which changes every round, excuse me, as the waves of enemies come at you. And also, High Rise and Museum are the new maps. High Rise should offer plenty of, you know, high ground opportunities, and you're going to have a circular museum map, which will allow you to do a couple of cool flanking maneuvers. Also, the new skins you're going to get are Wetsuit Drake, Baseball Shirt Drake, Parcoso, Platzor, Glozor, and the Dead Explorer. The trophies you're going to be able to get on the bronze tier, you're going to get You Can't Break Me, which is complete all three co-op objective maps on crushing. You're going to get the Under Siege trophy for finishing a wave uh, 10 in one siege. Uh, get 50, which is going to get you the Speedy trophy. You're also going to get I'll Cover You, Fallen Angel, which is 50 afterlife medals. Um, Kneel Before Z, which is uh, get five put em down medals. And for silver, you're going to get 100 tricky medals for the trophy called Rock of Rhyme. So if you're still playing that, that's something that will uh, give you something to look forward to for sure. In other news, like I was talking about earlier with Modern Warfare 2, uh, some of the creative minds from Infinity Ward decided to go forth and create their own company. Jason West and Vince Zampella have formed a new company, um, and they're actually teaming up with EA. And the company is going to be called Respawn Entertainment. It's going to be based out of Encino, California, and it's going to be an EA-partnered labeled company. It's going to be, and I quote from Jason Zampella, Respawn Entertainment marks a fresh start for Jason and me. For the past decade, we led a great development team and poured our hearts into creating an epic game franchise. We're very proud of what we've built and proud that so many millions of fans have enjoyed those games. Today, we hope to do it all over again, open a new studio, hire a great team, and create a new brand of games with our brand new partner, EA. Of course, it's funny because the Medal of Honor franchise, which has recently gotten a reboot, is coming out from EA, as is Battlefield. I think that the involvement of the crew from Infinity Ward is definitely going to shift the scales a little bit, and it's going to definitely add a lot more creative talent to the rosters for both of those games. So I'm definitely intrigued to see how it goes down. Um, Activision, of course, has been seeing numerous um, members from the Infinity Ward team slowly submit their resignations, and they're going to start making their way over to Respawn Entertainment. Now, I understand the frustration from the Infinity Ward team with Activision, but it's, it's one of those things that played out in, in a very huge and really non-corporate environment. There was a lot of corporate strong-arming and a lot of backstabbing that led to this point. I think that the team at Infinity Ward didn't think that Activision was going to assume such a huge role and, have, and try and have such a huge say with their, with their small group. I'm more than sure that EA has promised them a lot more freedom. The only thing I have to say about the matter is that if Respawn takes the opportunity and puts out a solid platform, it's going to show that the Infinity Ward team are the ones that make the great games, not just the fact that you have Call of Duty in front of the title. So definitely something to look forward to with Medal of Honor as well as Battlefield. I, I personally, like I said, am looking forward to just seeing these guys get a fresh start under a new umbrella, and maybe they'll come out with something new. We'll see what happens. Microsoft recently announced that they're going to be changing their pricing structure for Xbox Live Points. It went into effect uh, April 7th, and gamers are going to be able to po purchase points in 400-point increments instead of 500-point increments. People are going to be able to do that because it was a request from the fans. 
And according to uh, representatives from Xbox, they said, we made these changes based on a feedback system from the Xbox Live community and are confident they'll be happy with these new offerings. The new increments do fit better with the pricing of downloadable content. Now, one thing personally I think is the fact that I like points and it's cool and all, but I mean, is there really a, a difference at least to, to anybody else out there, whether they charge in points or in cash? I mean, the Wii uses the point system, Microsoft uses the point system, PlayStation uses cash. How, you know, what's the general consensus on that stuff? Me personally, I have to admit that I like the point system just because you, you know that you have three, 400 points and you can get some money. You know, you can get a couple of things here and there. When you're doing monetary transactions, at least to me, I feel that the transparency comes out a lot more because it's like, fuck, do I really want to play $3 for this game versus, you know, 60 points? It's one of those things where I like the point system because it kind of hides how much you're really paying for stuff. And sometimes you don't want to know that because you're getting a game that, you know, a downloadable game that you're playing a little bit. And um, what ends up happening is, you know, you pay 300 points for it and you beat it. You don't feel so bad because it was just 300 lousy points versus, oh, shit, I paid 14.99, I beat the game, and now what? It, it's, it's a weird, really weird thing, at least for me, in terms of, whether I prefer cash to points, but um, I don't know. A lot of people that I've talked to about it that are huge live gamers, they like the fact that they can just go and buy a card with points and, you know, they can continue rolling over the balances versus cash transactions. But, hey, if, it, if it's something that's going to get people to use more live points, I'm all for it. So with that being said, let's move on. A little bit of news from Nintendo as well. Uh, Reggie spoke with Bloomberg recently, and he was talking about the 3DS handheld. He feels that it is going to be the biggest handheld launch since the company launched the DS in 2004. He says, and I quote, We have ideas of what we want to bring to the consumer that we can't do with the current DS. The Nintendo 3DS for us is our next handheld platform. Reggie goes on to say that putting out 3D handhelds is not the end for Nintendo. He says, fundamentally, this business is about software, not hardware, he explains. Software was drives engagement by the consumer. For us, technology is not the end. It's a means to an end, which is about having a great consumer experience. Now, I beg to differ with this because, yeah, hardware is important, as is software. But, hey, Reggie, if Nintendo's not putting out fucking good games, nobody's going to buy any software. When your number one best-selling game is a, is a remake of a Mario title, and no independent titles that have been released on the Wii have been as successful, there's a fucking problem. I honestly feel that when you are, hardware sets the standard, at least for me personally. Hardware allows developers to be more creative, to take risks, to introduce new things, because you have the system processing power to back up some of those things that you're putting out. It's just the way it works. It's, you know... The Wii is a, is a great system. I say it always. It's great, but it's, it's held back. I mean, don't get me wrong. I saw Metroid Other M, and I saw the, 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 the great promise that was shown for that title. But if, if the Wii had the processing power of the 360 or the PS3, for example, you know, could the game have looked better? Could it play better? I mean, I'm not shitting on the game either. I just feel that hardware is definitely – it's a 50-50 for me personally. I feel that 
when you look at it from the standpoint of hardware setting the standard, a lot of the best, best games that are out that have sold well are because they've pushed the hardware to the limit. One of the forum members mentioned, um, one of the chat room members, I should say, mentioned Uncharted 2 as being one of the best games out. Would that game have been pot? Would that game have even remotely been possible on the Wii? No. On the 360, possibly. I'm not saying it couldn't be done, but possibly. But the PS3 hardware took took a good game, a solid game, and made it great from a visual standpoint. You look at God of War 3, same shit. It's one of those things where you have great hardware that just makes a good title greater because of you know more special effects, better looks, more better polygons, more realistic character models. When your fucking... When your characters look like bowling pins, like Nintendo has, you know, and you look at your me, you know, it's a bowling pin with a face. I, I mean, it's cute and, it, and it's nice, but it's, it's not engaging enough versus, you know, an Xbox Live avatar or something on the level of, you know, Drake in Drake's Uncharted or or Alstair in, um, what the fuck, in Assassin's Creed. I think that the hardware is going to be something that, it, it, it sets the standard, it makes the rules. His, I like Reggie, He's a, he doesn't, re, you know, he comes out, he, he really is um, adamant about his product, and the 3DS, don't get me wrong, it's going to be great, it's going to be something new and innovative, and they're going to sell a shitload of them. It's just the way it is, Nintendo is a very family-friendly brand, they put out great, engaging portable games. See, when you're talking about winning in console wars, Nintendo has no fucking chance. None. They need to go back and come out with something a lot more powerful that can do... I mean, yeah, the, the Wii has innovative technology, but in terms of graphic graphics capabilities, not happening. Uh, you'll never see a game of the caliber of Uncharted on the Wii. Nintendo really needs to take their thumb out of their ass and realize that you've got to put some juice into your consoles. I mean, yeah, you're putting out a 3D portable system, but what about your main console? Do you guys not give a fuck about it? If that's the case, then stop making people waste money on, on your console, fold that shit up, and then apply all your creative energies to the portable gaming market, since obviously that's what you guys give a fuck about. It, it just bothers me, because I'm not really a, a portable gamer. You know, I know... Slick and a lot of the people in the chat are, you know, they're all about, you know, just they're all about the portable gaming. I know a lot of them are playing Pokemon right now and, and stuff like that. I, I feel that, you know, Heartless, he says that I've, I, you know, I've lost hold of my roots and it's not all about graphics. I, he's right, it's not. It's, it's about enjoying the game. But you know what it is? I feel that Nintendo's not getting a fair chance to compete because they're not offering things uh, of the nature of the 360 and the PS3. Uh, what you should do is focus more on the interactivity. The game can look pretty, but then you just build it around Nintendo's interactive model. I don't think that going out there and making it, uh, making it graphically superior is the only answer. It's true. You can have a shiny piece of shit that's still a piece of shit. I, I agree with, with Heartless in regards to that. And, and he makes up a valid point. But the fact of the matter is that you need, and, and Hyena, you finished my sentence perfectly in the chat, you need a great balance of graphics and gameplay. And a lot of times with the Wii, 
you have great gameplay and really shitty graphics. Or you have shitty graphics, uh, I mean, or you have really great graphics and shitty gameplay. You take a game like Red Steel, the first one, looked really pretty, wasn't that good. Red Steel 2, a lot of people are saying, are better. Um, more Masa the Demon Blade, hand-drawn animation sprites, looked really good, really crisp, really fluid. If all your games are going to look like that, or like Tatsunoko versus Capcom, then fine. But don't expect to compete using modern warfare-style graphics on a system that can barely fucking generate a Mario sprite. I think that Nintendo needs to really sit back and, and take a look at their console stance, just because, you know, you've got two systems out there, not just one. Yeah, the DS is nice, and it sells a lot of units, and it makes you guys a lot of money. But you know what? I paid 250 bucks for a Wii when the shit came out and I only play the same six or seven games, and the rest I rent. There's nothing even out there worth buying. It, it really is unfortunate, but hey, what can you do? Um, for those of you that didn't know, um, after the interview, I am taking calls. So it's 347-324-3541 if you want to call in and talk about any of that. Um, until then, I'll go into the next bit of news. It seems that Google may be next in, to toss its hat into the gaming ring. Um, according to Game Industry, it seems that the tech giant recently hired uh, Mark Delora to be a developer advocate for games. Delora has worked with Sony Computer Entertainment, Nintendo of America, and Ubisoft's San Francisco office as well. Um, he, was tasked, he was tasked with easing the development process on Google Chrome's operating system and Android platforms. On his blog, on his blog Delora said, we want games that are easier to make, less expensive, and time-consuming, but simpler to distribute. These are goals that may never be completely achieved, but by continually striving for them, we learn what needs to be done to encourage more voices and to accelerate the growth of the art form. You see, what ends up happening is a lot of these companies are looking at new revenue streams. And when Apple made their 4.0 announcement recently, they introduced a new social gaming type of platform similar to Xbox Live for iPhone and iPod Touch gaming. And it was really their way of, once again, throwing a little jab at Nintendo in terms of saying, hey, look, our system does everything, and it's graphically as strong as yours. Now, again, Apple has no shot of, of beating Nintendo anytime soon. But the fact of the matter is, you have to look at the fact that, and I talked about this before, that Apple is slowly eating PlayStation uh, PSP portable market share. Um, the PlayStation Portable has been number two, and their numbers, while they're decent, aren't great. But you have to take into consideration that the more games that Apple puts on the iPhone that are, that are easy to play and quick to pick up, the more people are going to say, why am I going to want a PSP if I have a phone that can play some of the same stuff? Yeah, the, the, the portable console is never going to die out because there's great games put out, especially by Nintendo, but Apple's definitely coming for them. And what Google is doing is it's sitting back and allowing different companies to put out all this technology, and they're going to pick, up, pick and choose how they want to grow their gaming division. Um, them wanting to build it into the Chrome operating system and Android is because, once again, they continue to want to make Android a viable competitor against Apple. Uh, again, I have no problem with innovation, and not only that, but Google tossing their hat in is going to make these guys get on their toes, especially if Google starts putting out decent games. 
So we'll see where it goes. I mean, if any of you guys think that Google is going to be a major player, by all means, feel free to share your thoughts. Me, I'm going to use a more wait-and-see approach to see how it goes. Um, Game Industry also reported that Sony is set to roll out their first 3D TVs this summer, which are going to have full 1080p capability, and it's also going to allow you to turn a 2D picture into a simulated 3D picture. Um, me and Slick had the opportunity of demoing uh, PlayStation, um, not PlayStation 3, um, Sony 3D TVs, and we got to see a little bit of what they had to offer. We also got to see some of Panasonic's offerings. Um, the fact that they are already working on converting 2D to 3D picture is going to be interesting. I, I definitely want to see how that's going to look and whether it's even going to look believable or not, given what's happened with Clash of the Titans and, you know, the fact that they, you know, they redid it from 2D to 3D and it didn't look that well. I really want to see how this quote-unquote 3D upscaling works. The TV, is going to re the TV is going to require 3D glasses, which are going to be offered in adult and child sizes, and they're going to be in various colors and have a 100-hour battery life. Uh, the PlayStation 3 is also going to be adding 3D compatibility with a firmware update that's going to be available before the TV hits stores. The first four launch games that are going to be coming out on the PlayStation Network with 3D optimization are the following. Wipeout HD, Motorstorm Pacific Rift, Pain, and Super Stardust HD. Motorstorm in particular is going to have a demo version that's going to come with the TV when you purchase it. So those of you that are on the fence about 3D TVs um, and you're thinking about jumping in, um, definitely keep an eye on the Sony one, especially if you have uh, a home theater built around Sony products. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And as soon as it's available, either myself or Slick will get to check it out and um, give you our thoughts. Uh, Xbox Live actually is being used in a criminal case, if you can believe that shit. Um, basically, Xbox Live has been, has been used to tamper with a witness. Some crazy shit. According to the New Haven Register, Anthony Hayward was charged with tampering with a witness, intimidating a witness, and two counts of secondary degree harassment. Hayward of Hamden, Connecticut, did this over Xbox Live. He sent messages to the witness saying such things as, I wouldn't laugh too much as a dead man walking, and rats die slow. The witness was reportedly scheduled to testify against Hayward. Hayward was free on $75,000 bail after he was caught on July 18th in New Haven, Connecticut with drugs and a stolen gun. The witness was a passenger during the arrest and told police the gun was Hayward's. Both men were arrested, but the witness is not facing these charges. Hayward is back in prison now with a $50,000 bail. His court date is set for April 30th. You know, it's getting to the point where social networking, now Xbox Live, these are things that are going to be start being looked at more so for criminal investigations. And it's going to become easier for companies like Microsoft, Twitter, Facebook, they're going to be able to have this information accessible, especially for, char for criminal cases like this. This guy could have just done what he did and kept it moving. And, you know, if he saw the guy in the street, be like, dude, you're a fucking snitch. Of course, now we have 21st century crimes going on between cyberbullying and now, you know, witness tampering via Xbox Live. It's really getting crazy, man. It's, it, it bugs me out that you can get charged with a witness tampering and intimidation of a witness through Xbox Live. It, it shows how far along we've, we've come in terms of uh, technology being such a huge part of our culture. 
It's, you know, it, uh, gone are the days of, you know, throwing a brick through somebody's window or spray painting their car or, you know, nice things like that. Now, Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, definitely the way to uh, intimidate somebody who ratted you out. So that guy's probably going to be going in for a long time. Nonetheless, let's go into some MPD numbers for the month of March. They got some crazy numbers for sure. If you were wondering who sold more, Pokemon or God of War, the winner was God of War 3, which sold 1,100,000 copies, to Pokemon Soul Silver's 1,020 copies. Uh, Final Fantasy 13 sold 828,000. Battlefield Bad Company for the 360 sold 825. Pokemon Heart Gold sold 761,200. Um, for those of you that are fans of Pokemon and play it, regularly. I'm curious as to why there's such a huge discrepancy between Soul Silver and Heart Gold. So if any of you uh, Pokemon experts could please enlighten me on that, I would definitely love to know why there's such a huge sales discrepancy. Um, Final Fantasy 13 on the 360 sold 493,000. Super Mario Brothers Wii continues to move units at 457, outselling Battlefield Bad Company 2, which was 451. Wii Fit Plus continues also to sell huge amounts of units with 429,000, and MLB 2010 The Show with 349,200. It's really crazy how Wii Fit and Mario are still just eating up tons of market for games that just came out. It's some really wild shit. In terms of hardware, the Nintendo DS was the number one selling console for the month of March, with 700,800 units being sold. The Wii sold 557,000, Xbox 360 sold 338, uh, PlayStation 3 sold 313, the PSP sold 119, and the PlayStation 2 continuing to just fucking eat away at the bottom line sold 118,000 units. Uh, every, every time I read these MPD numbers, I'm just more and more baffled by the fact that fuckers are still buying the PS2. But um, Nintendo DS, man, it's crazy how the handheld is outselling the console by such a huge margin. Nintendo really needs to look at that and wonder why the numbers aren't even remotely close. Nonetheless, Kratos came and killed some Pokemon in the month of March. Uh, somewhere there is a Squirtle on impaled in a blade of chaos. Uh, congratulations for God of War 3 for their milestone of selling over a million units. Definitely something, that, uh, something to keep an eye on for next month with such great titles coming out that are, you know, I want to see how Splinter Cell does, and um, I'm curious to see if, if it's as good as they say. I've been getting mixed reviews. I mean, I played the demo. I kind of liked it. I don't know if it's worth me dropping the 60 bucks. But definitely want to see the MPD numbers for next month. Um, here's a, some other crazy shit. For those of you that are Xbox 360 owners that are, take much pride in getting your demos and downloadable content earlier, it seems that PlayStation has finally opened their eyes and decided that they're going to get the content before Microsoft. Downloadable content for the PlayStation will now be moving to new days starting in May. Uh, they're going to be getting new content on Tuesdays in North America instead of on, I believe, Thursdays when Xbox releases their content on Wednesdays. Obviously, it seems that PlayStation consumers have been annoyed at the fact that 
their Xbox 360 counterparts are enjoying so many of the great demos and downloadable content. So Sony, once again, trying to step their game up, decided let's move their releases up a day. Um, last bit of gaming news. Final Fantasy 13 simultaneously sold on Xbox 360 and the PS3. Two years later, it was released on both consoles simultaneously in the U.S. The recent MPD report shows that the 360, of course, sold 493,000 units. The PS3 version sold 828,000. That's almost twice as many. Now, it's crazy because, you know, one of the reasons that obviously is because and a lot of, um, I think Bronx mentioned this also when I spoke to him, the PlayStation 3 was built to, to accept Final Fantasy 13, so to speak. You know, it's on one disc, you don't got to do any of this crazy shit, and on the, P, you know, on the 360, it's all these discs and blah, blah, blah. You know, the PS3 has been home to the Final Fantasy franchise for years, and I think that the people that have been buying Final Fantasy are the same ones that bought it for the PS2 and the PS1. You know, that's the way shit works. The 360, I think, you know, it's their first time in, so, you know, they wanted to give uh, the 360 gamers an RPG they can enjoy. Obviously, the, the, the numbers definitely favored the PS3, so something to look at just from the fact that the PS3 is definitely flexing its muscles in a lot of different areas, man. God of War 3 was the number one selling game. Uh, the PS3 got more units of Final Fantasy 13. Uh, Final Fantasy 13, sorry. It seems that Sony is definitely striking back, man, and they're not going to go quietly. Um, we're going to get into some movies. There's a lot of crazy shit to talk about in movie news right after this commercial break. Radio.com. That's where you'll find our radio show. Rich, you dig it, don't you? Yeah, man. He digs it. How come you don't dig it? Fuck you. Get on the internet. BornSteppingRadio.com. Rat bastards. All right, let's talk some movies. There's going to be a lot of uh, what-the-fuck moments. Uh, first off, you know that Image comic, Danger Girl, that came out years ago with all the little hot, that the, with all the little hot chicks that were spies in the same vein as 007? Yeah... Not many of you do, probably. Guess what? They're making a movie out of it. The Danger Girl uh, comic book franchise is going to be brought to the big screen. Um, the producers are going to be the guy that produced Hitman, as well as a guy named Todd Lincoln is going to executive produce. Here's the descriptions of this new project. And, I, and if you were actually seeing me, you'd, you'd see me doing air quotes for the new project. Uh, the film is described as Kill Bill meets Raiders of the Lost Ark with the team element of Mission Impossible. I would say to the uninitiated that the book is a smart, hip, fun, and beautifully drawn love letter to the best action-adventure movies of the last 30 years. It is the story of a lost girl who, through this incredibly kick-ass adventure, finds her destiny, comes of age, and helps save the world. I don't know, like Charlie's Angels? Basically, they were asked how would they approach the story, they responded with the following. First of all, we're taking these characters very seriously, a kind of Batman Begins approach, if you will. Also, Todd was very in, has a very interesting aesthetic approach to the project, which will actually inform the tone of storytelling for the movie. Without giving too much away, he wants to use the technology similar to that used in Avatar. Of course he does. To bring Campbell's characters and the world to life. 
and yet at the same time have the audience fully recognize and be emotionally invested in the actors playing those characters. His approach is both in both look and storyline is what I call anti-Charlie's Angels and feels more like next step progression. I mean, you know, this is what happens. We go through these phases where people are just digging in the crates, digging in the crates, digging in the crates. Oh, what are you going to make a movie about? And they go, let's look at some comics. Oh, Spider-Man done, Captain America done, Fantastic Four done, Spawn done. Hey, look, hot chicks. Hey, let's make a movie about these hot chicks that are spies. I don't know. It'll work. You know what it is? I don't have any issue with them doing a Danger Girl movie. I just feel that the, that the property itself has been dead for so long and doesn't have the exposure it had back in the 90s that people are going to look at it and be like, oh, yeah, hot chicks. Great. But nonetheless, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a wait-and-see approach and try and be positive about it, but I just don't see it going well. Now, here's a funny story, and the premise for this movie is beyond stupid. What does Hugh Jackman, what, well, what do Hugh Jackman and a penis have in common? And Kate Winslet. Anyone? Anyone? Here's what it is. Hugh Jackman is going to be in a movie with Kate Winslet that's going to be using a there's something about Mary type of vibe to it. And the movie is basically about a guy who has genitals on his chin. That's right. He has balls on his chin. You know, isn't that a, you know, a porno? It, it, oh, God. The report says that Jackman and Winslet will star in one of 17 short segments that make up the film. Uh, Jack, in one of their segments, Jackman and his unusually located testicles are going on a date with Winslet. Also in the film are Gerard Butler, Naomi Watts, Justin Long, and Sam Rockwell. So basically, he has chin nuts. Not chestnuts, not walnuts, but nuts on his chin. What the fuck? How is this going to work? What kind of shit are they drinking in Hollywood? That where you're going to do a movie with a guy like Hugh Jackman, who women fucking cream in their jeans for... And he's going to have balls on his chin. What the fuck is going on? Why? Look, I'm all for originality. I am. I'm all for funny, witty, you know, off-kilter, raw comedy. But a sight gag to the point where the guy has balls on his chin is definitely not... Oh, my God. And Hyena makes up a valid point in the chat that at the next meetup, they should make a script and sell that shit. You should. Because obviously, this is the drivel that they get people to sign up for. I really would like to have been in the room when Hugh Jackman's agent said, Hey, Hugh, you know, you did Wolverine, and you did X-Men, and you did all these great movies. Hey, we got this really great idea we're going to run by you. Um, it's basically a comedy, and yeah, you're going to have some balls dangling from your chin. What do you mean, like Brokeback Mountain? No, Hugh, I mean, you're going to have balls on your face. Um, I don't, I don't get it. Balls. And probably he drew him a little fucking stick figure with balls hanging from his chin. And he probably was like, oh, that's pretty original. Kind of like the elephant man. You know, he's got to be all dramatic and shit. Yeah, yeah, but funny. Who convinces these guys to do this shit? Oh, my God. It's, it, uh, 
why? Why are you going to do this? Hugh Jackman, your career just took a huge shitter. Uh, how can I look at Wolverine seriously when he's going to have a pair of balls on his chin? Oh, my God. Uh, so uh, We are so doomed. 2012 can't come soon enough for the world to fucking explode so I don't have to see shit like this on the screen. Ugh. All right, let's talk about some blockbuster numbers. Uh, Date Night was number one this weekend. Not surprised. Um, look, not a big Steve Carell fan. Tina Fey is pretty funny. But I, the minute that I saw the trailer and saw those two together and, and they had, like, a really good comedic spark, I knew the movie was going to be successful. Now, whether it's going to be $100 million successful or, you know, $60 million successful remains to be seen. Nonetheless, it came in number one this week. It pulled $27.1 million. The film had a budget of $55 million. Let's see if it's successful enough to at least break even. Clash of the Titans dropped to number two. It earned $26.8 million. It's made 110 so far. It had a budget of $125 million. How to Train Your Dragon, which everybody is saying is a really great kids flick, was number three. It earned $25.3 million. It's made 133.8. The film had a budget of 165. Tyler Perry's newest piece of shit movie, Why Did I Get Married 2, uh, fell four spots to number four. It earned $11 million. Uh, it had a two-week total of 48.5. The film had a budget of $20 million. See, this is why Tyler Perry is going to fucking own this world. He makes these movies for cheap. They always have really cute lines and subject matter and him always dressed in drag, and they make a shitload of money. He really does have a successful formula. He hires not the greatest actors, but actors that people know, and he puts them in these quote-unquote funny situations and fucking just rakes in the dough. It, it really bugs me out how so many people love the Tyler Perry shit. It's insane. The last song dropped to number five. Alice in Wonderland dropped to number six. Hot Tub Time Machine dropped to number seven. It made $36.9 million in three weeks. The film had a budget of $36 million. It took three weeks for this movie to break even. Definitely not that successful. The Bounty Hunter dropped to number eight. No one gives a shit. Hopefully it'll drop off this universe. Diary of a Wimpy Kid fell to number nine, and Letters to God debuted in the number 10 spot, earning $1.1 million. So those are your box office totals, folks. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, Green Lantern. Ryan Reynolds, of course, is playing Green Lantern, and it's been decided um, that his costume will not be your typical spandex costume like Spider-Man. Uh, Green Lantern's costume will be completely CG, basically for the simple fact that in keeping with the tone of the character, Green Lantern doesn't wear his costume. His costume actually comes from the ring and, you know, appears on him. So I think going this route is going to be cool. It'll give them a little bit more leeway in terms of creativity with the costume. What I want to know is how it's going to transfer onto screen because, you know, I've seen CG characters, CG special effects, and, you know, they're hit and miss. But a CG costume, I mean, I, I really want to see some, some still photos at least. I'm, you know, I mean, in action, of course, it's not going to be till the trailer's out. But definitely some CG stills for sure. I'm, I really want to see how this is going to pan out. I think it's, it's going to be interesting and the concept sounds original. I, I'm just not sold on 
on the look because it may just look too fake. But we'll see what happens. I mean, it being created from CG may lead to a new trend in terms of other superheroes donning costumes in CG as well. Um, in some Captain America news, they spoke to Joe Johnson, who was the director, and they asked him about Chris Evans. He said on the role for Captain America, he felt that Captain America is really casting two roles, Steve Rogers before and after the transformation, from 98-pound weakling to perfect physical specimen. I can't divulge how we're going to do it, but the performance will be Chris Evans from beginning to end. An actor playing Captain America has to embody that backstory and let it inform his understanding of his new self. One of the interesting aspects of the character is the effect that the kind of total transformation would have on his psyche. It gives the character more dimension and the actor playing him a wider range of interesting choices. He, he, he really, Joe Johnson really seems to have a really good understanding of, you know, creating the Captain America mythology and bringing it to life. I just want to see how they're going to pull that off, the transformation from 98-pound Steve Rogers to, you know, superhuman Captain America. Um, when they asked him about selecting Chris Evans, he said, Chris didn't audition at all. I was already familiar with everything he'd done and was championing his cause. Not that I had a fight from the Marvel team. They were fans of his as well. He came to the art department to say hi, saw all the, the jaw-dropping art and designs on the walls, and reacted the way I'd hoped he would. It was really his wonderful enthusiasm for everything he saw that, that clinched the deal. We have some of the best designers and illustrators in the industry working for us, and the art is just incredible to wander through. He will bring perfect balance of, dra of a dramatic performance and physicality to the role. Yeah, not to mention the fact that he'll probably be signed on for six or seven movies, make a ridiculous paycheck, have an action figure. You know, oh, no, none of that stuff was a factor. No. Yeah, Chris Evans was really excited to wear a spandex costume, possibly with little wings on it, possibly throwing a giant shield with a hetero life mate who gets killed on a Nazi rocket thus allowing him to be frozen to fight a guy who has a skull for a face. Yeah, I'm real excited to do that, too. Fuck out of here. He's excited because he has fucking money. And he, he's a comic fan. He is. I mean, you know, he, he did great work as Human Torch. How it translates to Captain America, we'll see. I, I really don't dislike him as an actor. He really has that witty charm about him that, that's similar to Ryan Reynolds in terms of making him a likable character in every movie he does. My main concern is not so much for Captain America, but more so for the Avengers. Because if these guys, the, the, all three of them, you know, Chris Hemsworth who's playing Thor, um, Chris Evans as Captain America, and, uh, and of course Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, I, I think that if those guys aren't at their A game, they're going to end up stealing the spotlight from each other. And of particular note would be somebody like Robert Downey Jr., who is just an awesome actor overall, that he may just come in playing, you know, snarky prick Tony Stark and steal all the screen time away from Chris Evans' Captain America, who, of course, is the leader of the Avengers. So I really want to see how that dynamic plays out over the course of the next few months, especially with Iron Man coming out soon. I mean, it, it, sh it should be interesting. Uh, Vin Diesel, of course, is in the news this week with uh, his next entry into the Riddick franchise. It's going to be called Dead Man Walking. Well, Dead Man Stalking, I should say. And pretty much the script is going back to the pitch black roots, and here's pretty much a little breakdown of the script. 
The Riddick scene in Dead Man Stalking has trimmed off the fat of Chronicles and bulked himself up better than even his pitch black days. Shortly after Riddick finds his world fucked once again, uh, Twathy has the character say a line which encapsulates what went wrong with Riddick these past two movies and puts him in his current situation. He says, and I quote, Riddick got civilized. He began to care too much about the people whose lives crossed his path. He's got to return back to being a predator, the baddest asshole in the universe. If he's to survive the trials of dead man stalking and Hollywood, back to basics, back to killing. The new film is not going to be a reboot. It's actually going to acknowledge what happened at the end of Chronicles, and it's going to explain why Riddick no longer leads the Necromonger army. Uh, the review is saying that it's going to be an R-rated script. There's going to be plenty of action and horror and all kinds of shit, including from Riddick. It's definitely going to be uh, Road Warrior to Pitch Black's Mad Max. That was the description. The film is going to have a budget of $60 million, which is lower than Chronicles, and a tighter 100-page script. I mean, Pitch Black was a great movie. It had a, a really unique presentation. Uh, Vin Diesel's character was really well played. I really enjoyed the character of Riddick because he was an anti, the anti-hero through and through from beginning to end. Um, when you got into Chronicles of Riddick, the necromongers and the special effects involved in making them good and, 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 you know, conveying their characters was fantastic from start to finish. I just felt that Riddick got kind of soft in the second one. Just a lot of shit I didn't like. But um, if they go back to basics for, the, for this third series, you know, for this third entry, I think it can recapture the magic of Pitch Black. It's just a matter of Vin Diesel has box office staying power anymore. I think he may, and if the movie's good, you know, it, it may thrust him back into the spotlight, you know, and erase you know, that, all those stupid family flicks that he did. But we'll see what happens. I'm definitely looking forward to this because I, I enjoyed the Pitch Black movies and I enjoyed the Chronicles of Riddick. Um, in discussing something that I put on the site, well, that my fiancé put on the site this, this week, it seems that Josh Whedon is in line to direct the Avengers. Um, he's now in final negotiations to direct the film, which is going to be coming out May 4th, 2012. Of course, Whedon is known for creating Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dollhouse, Angel, and Firefly, to name a few. Um, one of the things, of course, is that when it was announced on the site, it seems that uh, a lot of people had negative things to say about Whedon. Uh, Bronx, Ant, um, definitely not on board with Whedon's involvement. Uh, Josh, not so much. I mean, it was Bronx and Josh, sorry, and hadn't commented on it yet. Slick feels that, you know, Whedon isn't that bad. I, I think Whedon did a great job when he was doing the X-Men books. He has a great understanding of the Marvel product. I don't think it's going to be hokey, but definitely something to keep an eye on, just because he's not a, a, a major league director, so to speak. You know, he's, he's done, you know, all the TV projects, and, and they've been solid, and they have a good fan base. But the Avengers is such a huge project. You have so much ego so many great actors that it's just, you know, hopefully he'll be able to rein it in and create a great finished product. It's just interesting just because, you know, I, Whedon wasn't a guy that I expected to do the Avengers. You know, I thought maybe John Favreau would get the honor or maybe they'd go Louis Leterrier or, you know, they, they'd go to that extreme. But I, I don't know. With Whedon, I'm a little mixed just because he, he, he can put out good product. I mean, the work he did for Marvel with with the X-Men comic series was really good. So I'm going to reserve judgment right now. I'm not going to shit on it completely. Definitely a little worried. 
just because, like I said, you're combining so much ego and talent under one umbrella. But there's also rumors that he's going to be sprucing up the Captain America script. Um, when Marvel was asked about it, of course, they, didn't, they stated that they don't comment on rumors, but they're saying that Whedon is also um, making some tweaks to the Captain America script, which will directly, of course, affect his involvement in the Avengers. Again, I'm going to reserve judgment and see how it plays out. It's one of those things for me personally where Whedon, he's not a bad dude. He's not the worst director ever. I mean, you know, Michael Bay and, and Uwe Boll, you know, can, can contest that title, especially among some of the listeners here on the show. But I'm going to reserve judgment. I'm not, I'm not going to shit on it. Um, in some Spider-Man news, because, of course, we couldn't leave Spidey out, it seems that the guy who played Percy Jackson, I think his name is Logan Lerman, is out of the running to play Spider-Man. It seems that right now they're looking at 17-year-old Josh Hutcherson, who was in Bridge to Terabithia. He's on the short list to play Peter Parker. Um, he also appeared in the Polar Express and RV. Um, as of right now, Spidey's scheduled to return to the big screen in 3D on July 3rd, 2012. And to close out the movie news, um, April 16th and 17th, obviously this weekend, any AMC theater in your area will be playing Avatar again in IMAX 3D. So if you're one of the few, like myself, that didn't get to see Avatar in 3D and want to continue adding money to the billion-dollar franchise, April 16th and 17th, hit up your local AMC theater, and you'll be able to enjoy Avatar for the first time or once again for a repeat performance. With that said, folks, that is actually the end of the show this week. Um, before I wrap things up, again, shout out to Spike TV, the crew from Deadliest Warrior. Thanks to, for stopping in. Um, for those of you that are in the chat, um, as always, thanks for the support. Um, we are reaching some really great milestones, um, already surpassed the 10,000 download mark. Um, 1,500 downloads from iTunes, 500 downloads of the show per month, um, an average of 100 downloads per episode, um, great things in store, great guests in store. Um, next week, hopefully, I will be joined by the guys from OC Remix that are coming back in to pay my take radio a visit. I may also be joined, hopefully, by former TNA wrestler uh, Consequences Creed. He may be stopping in because he is also a gamer and a huge fan of OC Remix as well. So we're going to have a little bit of wrestling and a little bit of gaming for next week. So it's going to get really crazy. Um, next week is going to be really interesting. Um, it seems the lines were a little quiet this week. I guess uh, I announced that I was taking calls a little too late. Nonetheless, next week should be a fun show. Um, I'm hoping uh, everything gets finalized to have those guys back. Um, also, I received an email from former WWE superstar Tommy Dreamer, who I was supposed to be having on the show. Well, I was trying to get for the show, I should say. Um, unfortunately, he's unable to do the show at this time because his contract with WWE um, states that he cannot do any interviews for the time being. But um, in my response, I told him to definitely consider us once that stipulation expires. So, you know, we may have Tommy Dreamer in a few weeks as well. Um, nonetheless, uh, it, it's, it's picking up, man, and um, the forum, of course, is slowly picking up steam. I know a lot of you, based on the feedback that I've gotten, 
in the forums, you know, have a tough time navigating from site to forum or forum to site. Um, in regards to that, there's going to be an update to WordPress, which is what um, is the back end for my site that will be allowing both things to mesh a little better in the coming weeks, and it will also allow you to switch back and forth between the forum and the home page. So definitely something that's going to be improved. Uh, the Facebook fan page is always great interaction from you guys. Um, in regards to possibly uh, moving the forum into a more social networking side of, of things, it, it's a work in progress. I've been researching something along the lines of MySpace and Facebook, um, maybe something, you know, I don't know, my take radio space, my take space, uh, my take radio rage page, rage page, I should say. Something like that is in the works just because I feel that while the forum is a great medium for interaction, it seems that a lot of the listeners, considering how vast they are, um, and Slick can attest to this, and, and looking at some of the listeners and some of the visitors to the site, uh, the site is being looked at in Europe, in, in Italy, in the Netherlands, in Australia, all over the place. It's just a question of getting everybody to interact on a consistent basis that we're still trying to work out. Nonetheless, though, thank you guys for the support, and I appreciate it. Um, a couple of plugs, of course, jeffdmaline.com uh, for Jeff D. Maline's awesome shirts. I'm definitely going to be ordering one so I, too, can have my photo posted on the site. Um, that's G-E-O-F-F-D-E-S. M-O-U-L-I-N dot com. Uh, Max Geiger's project, the new game that he's working on, it's, uh, you can go over to Giant, G-I-A-N-T-S, P-A-R-R-O-W, GiantSparrow.com. And, of course, Doc's Cardio Water. You can go to DrinkDocs.com and check that out as well. Um, it's also Friday the 16th and it is the birthday of fellow friend of the show and Centaur Facts master, Jeff McCarron. Um, for those of you that are listening that are friends of Jeff, by all means, tell him that My Take Radio wishes him a happy birthday, uh, not to kill too many centaurs and not to pee in anyone's coffee. Nonetheless, happy birthday, Jeff McCarron, wherever you are, and uh, you guys can pass that on to him. And with that being said, let me just give a couple of shout-outs to some of the past guests, of course. Razor Rob McCullough, um, assistant coach for the Ultimate Fighter, former WEC lightweight champion, joined us last week. If you want to check out some of his clothing, head over to RazorClothing.tv, R-A-Z-O-R, Clothing.tv. Shout-out to the Girl Gamer crew, of course. Head over to GirlGamer.com. Um, fight panel members from MMAGospel.com as well as MMAValor.com who were here uh, two weeks ago, they did a great job on the show with the MMA panel. Um, it was a shame that um, didn't get as many callers as I had wanted to just because, you know, I know a lot of you kind of tune out the MMA segment, and I know a lot of you guys, you know, you, the listeners are kind of divided on the stuff. I'm trying to diversify and give you guys different guests and different things every week. Um, you know, by all means, my email is always open. The forum is always open if you have any suggestions or any anything you'd like to see further. But, you know, I'm going to try and diversify just a little bit more. Um, a shout-out to Rachel from MMAHotStuff.com as well. Hayden Dalton from Darksiders. You can check out his WordPress blog at HaydenDalton.WordPress.com or you can head over to Darksiders.com as well. 
uh, VGNRadio.com, of course, for all their support. You can check Don Anderson's show, Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on the Blog Talk Radio Network as well. Um, ClevelandSportsRadio.net, BornStubbornRadio.com for their kick-ass advertising. Um, one of their hosts helped actually design the new My Take Radio business card, which will be distributed to some of the staff members in the coming weeks. Um, I'm actually going to start using it for uh, getting guests and starting to create My Take Radio more so as a brand. Um, OCRemix.org for their kick-ass music. MMAJunkie.com for all their great MMA news. 411Mania.com for the wrestling news. FilmDrunk.com for shitting on movies just as much as I do. And with that, folks, that's going to wrap up this week's show. It's My Take Radio, episode 38. That's in the books for Thursday, April 15th, 2010. Thank you guys for listening. I'm out. I'll catch you guys next week. Have a good night. Peace.